Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Thanks for dropping by my weekly workshop, coming to you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. For those new arrivals to our community, the weekly workshop features a compilation of my content from the last seven days, including, but not limited to, inspiration for would-be side hustlers and full-time giggers, tool and gear reviews, and finding financial and lifestyle freedom through entrepreneurship. And also, if you prefer your content of the video variety, you can find it all at toolmantim.co. Thanks for taking the time to have a listen, and with that, let's dive into this week's edition of the Weekly Workshop. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. It's Sunday night, which means it's time for another live edition of Talking Tools. How's everybody out there tonight? We have a really cool special guest tonight, uh, Skylar Gibbler of the G-Tribe Chronicles. <laughs> I got all that out really well. That's awesome. He's on to tell us about his incredible journey. I don't want to spoil it, but how they bought a property. I would say they really shined up a turd, a $10,000 house. They turned into an incredible thing. They've turned around. Anyway, I don't want to ruin it, but he's going to tell us all about why they chose to move into the country in his journey with homesteading. So real quick, guys, before we dive in, we bring Skylar on. A couple of quick announcements. Next, well, this week coming, the live stream will be Thursday because Saturday, Sunday night is Halloween. So we're going to do Thursday the same time. And then the next week, we'll be back to our uh, same time, same night. And we're going to have Brian from the Lots Project coming on talking about RV living. Super, super excited about that. So soon as we run our intro here, guys, we will have Skylar come on and uh, we'll have him share his story with us. So hang in there. Hey, Skylar, how are you? Hey, Tim. I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, no <laughs> worries. We, uh, we've had a little bit of technical difficulties, guys. I think we're going to be okay. We, we always make it through, but, uh, yeah. So if there's any little choppiness or any issues with the, uh, with the audio guys, just let us know. Uh, we'll say real quick, we got Ted in here with us and I know you're Joe. Nice to see you guys. Thanks for dropping in. So Skylar, tell me a little bit. Well, tell me who Skylar Gibbler is, what you're up to, where you're coming from your story. Cool. Well, before I do that, I want to tell you congratulations on 2,500 subs. That's super awesome. So Skylar uh, Gibbler is a father of four, married to my beautiful wife, Hannah, for like 12 years now. And I'm in my early 30s. So we got married pretty young and don't regret a minute of it. <laughs> um, I think it's funny. I was listening to your your story uh, that you posted for your 2,500 sub thing. And I can relate to a lot of what you went through, you know, with being dead broke and <laughs> all that stuff. I, uh, we were in that same boat when we got married. So that's, uh, that's definitely us. We, um, I do a lot of actually the same stuff you do. Um, a lot of handyman remodeling, contracting type stuff. And, um, you know, we sold our house and moved into mom's basement and we're buying three acres and we're going to build a house in the country, a homestead. So, so tell me about, you guys got to check out uh, his channel. I uh, just, tonight I took some time and watched a few more of his videos, but tell me about your $10,000 house. <laughs> tell tell <laughs> Man, us that story. So, it's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So um, yeah, we, 
I had quit a job and um, I had uh, I had been contributing to my retirement or whatever. Well, it wasn't a huge <laughs> amount of money. So, you know, I didn't really have a way to roll it into anything. So we just took it out and we were just saving it. And um, we were living in we were renting a house for my brother-in-law and he put it on the market and it sold like really fast. And we had been looking and couldn't really find anything. Well, we found this house and um, we were really trying to stay out of debt. That was like our main goal. We were having a hard time doing it because you don't generally find houses for $10,000 um, <laughs> in our area. Even in our area, that's that's really cheap. And we have pretty cheap real estate compared to the rest of the country. But um, yeah, we, we managed to get this place for $10,000 and it was in a small kind of rural town. And it needed an insane amount of work. It was it was really run down. It was a foreclosure and it had sat on the market, you know, with nobody in it for a year plus. And we did a ton of work to it and we just sold it a mm, couple, two, three months ago now. And we made a huge profit on it. Um, and that's what's funding our homestead. So, so it was that video. First video that we put up was actually that story. So, and you definitely don't do it justice because it was, I mean, the place was in rough shape, wasn't it? <laughs> Be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It was real bad. Um, you know, just the most dated interior you could think of, really foolish layout. And I mean, the bathroom, just to give you an example. So, the bathroom was, this house was over 100 years old. So, the bathroom was added on after it was built and it was just tucked back in the corner of the house. And the tub was a smaller than standard tub and it would still not fit in the bathroom. So they had like notched out the wall. So the tub would fit in there. Oh. It was just, it was really, it was really bad. We pulled all the plumbing out of it. We pulled a lot of the electrical out of it. We hauled away a roll off dumpster worth of lab and plaster. Um, it was a one bath, two bedroom when we bought it. And when we sold it, it was a two bath, four bedroom. So yeah, we did, we did a lot. <laughs> A bunch. Yeah, we were we were chatting <laughs> earlier, guys, and uh, yeah, if you take a minute and watch this video, it's pretty cool. But like, you know, I'm a handyman, and there's some projects I'll take on. But some of the stuff he did, man, it inspired me. Like, what I seen you guys, you actually raised the roof or kind of built in a dormer. What, mm -hmm. what exactly did you do upstairs? Okay, so it's like a story and a half. The house was, and um, it was really weird. Upstairs, there was only one actual bedroom. And then just open space upstairs. And we wanted to add a so we changed the pitch of the roof. It was a very steep pitch. We changed it, you know, to something more like this so we could accommodate a full-size bedroom in there. So we pulled down all of the rafters that were in there and extended the exterior. My hands not in frame. <laughs> it's okay. My hands um, <laughs> extended the exterior wall up and changed the pitch of the roof on the back of the house, and then it made it to where we could squeeze a decent sized master and uh, bathroom in there without you know having a four foot ceiling. So it was quite so, a project. You guys were settled in there, and you know you had your ten thousand dollar home that you shined up and made look beautiful. So. What inspired uh, you and the missus to, to sell it? And uh, well, and tell us where you're living right now. Well, I don't know that the missus was inspired quite <laughs> like I was. <laughs> I kind of sprung it on her. Um, so we've both wanted to be in the country 
since we've been married. We're both, we actually, <laughs> kind of weird, that's another story in and of itself, but we actually grew up on the same road when we were in our teens, back okay. when we fell in love. Um, and that was out in the country. And we moved into town because we found a good deal on a house and we were trying to stay out of debt. But we wanted to get out to the country and couldn't afford it. And when all these house prices went through the roof, I kind of saw our opportunity to hopefully sell high. And then since we're going to do most of the work, not necessarily buy high and mm -hmm. and kind of max, kind of arbitrage, you know, more or less the house. Um, so I kind of sprung it on her like, hey, we're going to. We need to sell this house. We're going to do it. And we just I pretty much didn't work for money for like three months and just banged out projects on the house constantly. So it was um, you took advantage then, of the market then, hey? Yeah, we had to. I mean, and since then, I've talked to my realtor and she's already got a lot less work. So I think we just barely kind of snuck in under the deadline. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. So, I, Joe, I uh, know your Joe wanted to know uh, what, what area you're in, Skylar. Okay, so we're just south of Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, um, but not too far from the city. So I, I have worked in the city a fair bit on projects, but I'm really trying to rein it in and make it more local and try to work kind of in the county because they're more my type of people. And you're, you're self-employed? Yeah, so I do pretty much what you do. Um, Good idea. I do a lot of decks, a lot of remodeling, stuff like that. So how long you been a handyman? I don't know why I did quotes, uh, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on my own, about two years. Um, I've done a lot of it with my father and a good friend of mine while I was doing other stuff in the past. And um, they really imparted a lot of knowledge to me and kind of some of the common sense that makes me make the crazy decision to tackle the stuff that I do. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go off script just a little bit here, but so when you're, sure. when you're dealing with a big project like that, how do you, how do you start? Like what, what, what's kind of your mental process? Cause I know kind of what I do, but I always love to learn from people, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, I always start with the bid obviously. And so really getting into doing the stuff on my own was the hardest part was learning how to bid stuff um, because in the past, you know, I could make the boards go together and do the thing, but yeah. knowing how long that was going to take me and kind of seeing the potential for things to go wrong. That's the, that's the hard part. So, you know, I usually just look at the project and I try to figure out, okay, how many days is this going to take me? Um, and I kind of base my bids on a day rate, like what I want to make. And um, so I, you know, try to give myself a little cushion. I don't, you know, I don't mind working hard, but I don't want to kill myself. And if you bid jobs too tight, you usually, you know, don't enjoy doing it and it just mm -hmm. goes south. So I usually, you know, go that route and then I go and figure up my material and, um, you know, pitch it to the customer. And if they're happy with it, I'm happy. And then we, we dive in. So, and I've got, you know, if it's something that I'm not super comfortable with, um, as far as something I haven't done before, haven't bid before, I've got, quite a range of people I can talk to that can really help me with that because I've got a big family in the area and a lot of them are tradesmen. So that that's helps. It's lot. nice. <laughs> hey, but I, the old timers, you know, they call it a Rolodex or a stack of business cards. I don't know what we call it nowadays, but yep. if I, I'm telling you, if you don't have, if you don't have a group of people or other experts you can call on you, I don't know if you, I, I don't want to say you shouldn't be doing what we do, but man, I'm telling you, it's a huge It'll help, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's funny you say Rolodex. I was just at my grandpa's the other day, and um, he used to be a drywall contractor. He moved to Kansas City to learn the trade back when it first came about. Mm-hmm. And he had an eighth grade education. He grew up in the Missouri mountains, and you know he was walk-to-school kind of guy. And uh, he, I was over there talking to him about I needed some gravel for our driveway, and he goes and busts out his Rolodex and flips through it. <laughs> Boom, here's your guy. And uh, it's, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that because that's dead on. Well, Chris Chris sticks in here white, from White North Forge. He says it's still called a Rolodex. So I yep. absolutely, you know, I uh, I don't know what I use. I use a combination of, uh, you know, just keeping it in my phone and notepad and everything else. But I don't know. I find in small towns, it's almost as easy to drop by and talk to somebody in person as it is to to call them up and chat. I Sometimes it isn't, but that's, that's small town yeah. life, you know, that's a benefit of being self-employed too. You can do that if you need to. Oh, I love it. And has that, I mean, has that given you some flexibility in your work or in, in this project that you and the, the missus are working on now or? Oh, totally. And that's really a lot of, a lot of the reason that we live the way we do is so we can have the flexibility. Um, I, we have four kids and we homeschool them all. And Hmm. so it's nice to be able to peel away from a project and help mom if she's got to go to a doctor's appointment or, you know, who knows what, or I can take the kids to work with me on a lot of my projects are for people that I know pretty well. And they're, if, you know, if it's appropriate, I'll bring one or two of the boys along and they can learn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It gives a ton of flexibility, me being self-employed. And so right. We do the project. I'm really going to try to only work like one week out of the month um, to pay bills. And then the rest of yep. the time I'll be working on the house. That way we're not doing it for five years. <laughs> Do you find uh, being, I mean, being self-employed, at least I found, and I don't want to sound funny, but you don't have to work as hard to make the money you need. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's more time yeah. around you. Like, yeah. It's awesome. Hey. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if and it makes sense if you think about it, because employees, are, you know, they're working for someone and that person is generally marking up their, their labor. And so there's that, that wage gap in there, you know, that they're not benefiting from. And there's some other Mm -hmm. benefits that come from being employed too. But um, yeah, definitely. I can, I can make a lot better money in a shorter period of time now that I work for myself than in the past when I was an employee. So that's, it's a huge blessing for sure. Yeah. Like I, uh, this year I decided not, knock on wood, not to work weekends. And it's, you know, I didn't make any less money this year than I did the first three years working seven days a week, you know? So it, it's definitely, yeah, yeah, it, the flexibility of entrepreneurship. I know we talk about it on here all the time, but it's nice to have other guys on here. Uh, Joseph's in here as well. He, he, he's into everything, but he has a, I'd call it more of a construction than a handyman business. And he has uh, Mm -hmm. uh, rentals and things too. And he, he knows about it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you guys are doing this entire journey. You've done it so far debt-free basically. Yes. Yes. And that's the plan to stay that way. Um, I I say that's the plan. That's, I mean, we won't deviate from that unless something insane happens. And then we don't have any credit, so I don't know how we would deviate from it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we, um, that's kind of intentional, but we, um, we should hopefully have enough money from the, from the sale of the house to, um, to buy the land and build the house. We might get to, you know, 90% done with the project and realize we need to heap up another few thousand dollars or something. But, um, it's kind of hard to tell now with 
material prices are so crazy and you know yeah so we don't really oh come on are you serious (laughs) (laughs) that's part of the reason we chose to go with the icf because i mean wood was so insane there for a while and it's gotten better but a lot of the osb and stuff is still pretty high and it's the the gap between you know conventional framing and icf is so much smaller than it usually is this is something I didn't know about Joseph, but he just, I, I got to mention it here, guys. But he said that he's talking about you being debt-free, but he said, that's great mm-hmm. on debt-free. I'm approaching that for the first time in my adult life, maybe three awesome. to six months and we will be there. So <laughs> congratulations, man. Good for you. So what, what do you guys like, you know, it's all fine and well to say, Hey, we're debt-free or whatever. How, I, you know, especially if there's some young ones out there or people that aren't really sure, like what, what does that mean? Like, how, how do you, survive day to day how have you guys kind of built uh wealth in a house or in a property without ever taking out a loan you know yeah well i think this is something that's an interesting question so i think the biggest part because a lot of people hear that and they say oh that's good for you but that won't work for me you know i can't do that where i'm at or whatever and i understand that but the moment that you don't give yourself another option you start getting really creative and you mm-hmm. start seeing opportunity where you normally wouldn't because you're not thinking that way. And I think that is probably the biggest thing I learned from this entire process. Um, and you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to debt. Some people do it really well and really responsibly and it works really well for them. Um, I'm super disorganized <laughs> and I 100% would screw it up. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot. That's got a lot to do with it. But, um, you know, I, we early on, we really followed like the Dave Ramsey kind of game plan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. It seems like you are based on the way you smiled. But yeah, yeah. yeah he's a cool <laughs> dude. Yeah. Yeah. Dave's Dave's pretty all right. I don't really adhere to his line of thinking quite as strictly as I used to. But, you know, the thousand dollar emergency funds, a great first step. And kind oh, yeah. of baby steps for chopping down the debt and stuff. You know, that's all that's all good stuff. Um, definitely don't drive nice cars. Um, we drive, you know, old used cars. My wife's nice car has 290,000 miles on it. And my work van, I paid $600 for it. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and yeah. We and two more nicer cars, but there's no need for it. So that's awesome. Yeah. And 290,000 miles. That's like, 500,000 kilometers up here in these weird <laughs> Canadian, you know, so that that's half a million yeah. kilometers, you know, not yeah, that yeah. Uh, many of our listeners even, you know, can compute in kilometers, but that, that just blows my mind, you know, like, yeah, we we're stuck on freedom units down here. You know how it is. <laughs> I love my freedom unit. I, somebody asked me the other day, they're like, Tim, what, what do you use for a tape measure? Like, does it have metric? And I kind of had to laugh. I'm like, nah, <laughs> dude, like, you know, I, I mean, metric exists in its own little bubble, you know, for certain things, but sure. yeah, no, I, I wouldn't, I could never imagine measuring something in centimeters and meters. I would be absolutely lost, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's, that's, I hadn't actually thought about that, but that makes sense. That's hilarious. Like you go in and, you know, you go into the hardware store and you don't order uh what would oh my goodness. Um, like you don't order a five centimeter by a 10 centimeter board, you know, it's a two before, right. Yeah. And eight yeah, feet yeah, long. Yeah. That's but then of course, you know, government, they get their hand in. And of course, and if, if you got to do a government uh, bid or something, I'm pretty sure a lot of that's in metric now. And it's just, oh, wow. yeah, I couldn't even, and some huh. electrical work and some Mason work is in metric. We live in this really weird, 
like combination of freedom units and communism or something. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's fun, you know. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, colonialism or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, we we we, we still recognize the crown, you know. We we you guys fought for your freedom and we just kind of laid there and said, "Please, could we have some more?" And then eventually they're like, "We're tired of you. Get away from us," you know. So but uh Ken, Ken's cool. Well, oh, Ken's if you awesome. Too, but he... in a pinch, we'll, we'll help out. Oh, hey, absolutely. We thought about it. But... <laughs> uh, Ken Cornelius. I always love Ken's name. His name always makes me smile because I always think of the rooster from Cornflakes. But he says they've been debt-free their entire life, but we grew up in a different age. But, you know, I hear that said a lot, but it, it's still doable, isn't it? Because, I mean, you guys are a full 10 years younger than my wife and I, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so when Ken says he grew up in a different age, a lot of that boils down to we've changed our um, our standard, our expectations for standard of living. In, in oh, day. yeah. So, you know, if you go back to, I see a lot of people make comments about how, oh, you used to be able to, one person's income would support the family and all this. And I, I agree, but at the same time, you had one car, you had probably no TV, no cell phones, <laughs> you know, mom mended clothes and had a garden and you know probably had sold some eggs on the side or whatever and you know the kids you know didn't have a million clothes they they lived more simple back then and that's what allowed them to be debt free and i mean being debt free in a lot of ways just boils down to sacrifice so that you can can be there but um in this day and age man it has paid off in dividends i don't have a you know somebody telling me i have to get a medical procedure or wear a certain thing or, you know, not to get too political or anything, but yeah. I have friends all around me who are dealing with that. And I'm, uh, it's weird. Cause I mean, it's, I feel like I'm in a little bubble <laughs> well, being a, I mean, and also I'm, I'm thinking too, like, and I'm sure you've ran into it with me, but, um, or like same as us, but being an entrepreneur kind of insulates you a fair bit from that too, doesn't it? Yes. And it takes a lot of the stress out of being an entrepreneur too, because since we're debt free, our bills are way lower. So, you know, if I have a slow month, um, you know, it's not the end of the world, um, you know, just hang out with the family some more, you know? So that's, yeah. Um, being an entrepreneur is definitely goes hand in hand with being debt free. It seems like in, in my case, at least. That's cool. I love it. I, and I know we, we plug entrepreneurship on here, but man, I'm telling you, and I mean, Skylar is a hundred percent, you know, an, an example of it, but <laughs> there's nothing better if you want to have independence and freedom than to be your own boss, because, you know, uh, the, the second best time to do something's now. And I, I wish I'd have done it 10 years ago, but four years ago was good enough. Right. And it, yeah. any, any time's better than no time. Right. So. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it doesn't come without its challenges either. As you know, I mean, you're, you have to, everything falls on your shoulders and you're, mm -hmm. you know, when the angry phone calls happen or the, or the money getting lost happens, that affects you directly, but you know, it all comes out in the wash. It does. But you know, you, I'm sure you're like me, you, even though you take your weekends off or whatever, you, your brain is always thinking about work. Uh, you know, you're, you're always, it doesn't matter if you take a vacation or go somewhere or do anything. You're, your brain is always on the job. You may not work as many hours, but your brain works way more hours. For, for sure. Yeah. There's been a few times I wake up in the middle of the night and realize, you know, something about a job or something. And my wife's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you fretting at, uh, you know, three o'clock in the morning? Yeah, yeah, I get it. 
Yeah. And I don't fret out loud very often. So it really surprises her. <laughs> so, all right. So let's slide back. I guess, I mean, this is awesome. I love it. Like entrepreneurship, debt-free living. It's, it's cool. So now you guys are on a journey toward homesteading. So why did you see so Tell me a little bit about the land that you're looking at or that you're in the process of, I think you said you've almost got it. And why did you choose yeah, to build it's, it? It's as good as ours. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so we're buying three acres from my parents. They've got a larger chunk of land and, um, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of benefits to buying from them versus trying to find some land somewhere else in our area. One is that it wasn't ever for sale. So, you know, <laughs> the timeline wasn't nearly as tight on selling the house. You know, we knew it would be there when we were ready, which was really great. Um, and I've always been a fan of trying to buy an old homestead instead of just raw land. Um, generally there's some benefits that come with that, like, you know, nice trees or like we talked about before we came on, we have a really nice cistern that I'm really excited about. Um, there was, a semblance of a driveway there. We're, um, we're cleaning it up quite a bit. Um, there usually are some fruit trees on the property, maybe a mm -hmm. pond. We do have a pond. The pond's in bad shape, but you know, it's all right. We'll fix that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not a big piece of land by any means, but we'll be able to kind of increase our independence on it. And, um, we will kind of have access to, you know, the larger, piece of property and we'll be mm -hmm. doing some things in combination with my parents like um you know we won't have enough land for cattle per se on our piece but we can team up together and kind of do that on our own if we want to so so what's yeah. what's the permitting process like in good old missouri well it varies by <laughs> county so um missouri is pretty chill as far as the state is concerned um I think really their only state regulation is like for septic, you know, you, they don't want you daylighting your, your business out into the street or anything like that, which is pretty understandable. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of counties in our area that have basically no codes, um, maybe with the exception of, um, you know, like something to do with septic, they might have you pull a permit and then, you know, never say booty after that. Um, our county is a little stricter, but I'm kind of taking the agorist route with a lot of that. <laughs> don't ask, um, don't tell. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, doing what I do, I can kind of tell what, what is feasible and what's not. So it kind of gives me a little bit of insight. Without getting you into any trouble or anything, what's the septic system like where you're at or like, what are your, you know, plans or how, where you're going to head? Yeah, yeah. So we do lateral fields in our area mostly. Some people do what we call potty ponds, where they just, you know, they'll have they'll build an above ground holding tank that's open air, and mm -hmm. everything goes into that. That's only in rural areas. That doesn't ever happen in town. But they'll um, they'll let their waste go in there, and nature will more or less handle it. Um, but we will do. We don't have the room for that. Um, so we're going to do an underground lateral field. So um, Missouri has like a 27 page document with how to deal with all that stuff, how to test your soil, how, you know, how many feet of lateral you need per room in the house and all that stuff. So we're going to adhere to all that stuff because we want to do a good job. Uh, mm -hmm. We're just not going to pay people money to come bother us if we don't have to. So, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Chris says a person could go broke just permitting a job in Alberta. And, uh, you know, if there's a, if there's a province oh, yeah. in Canada that has freedom, it would be Alberta, but we are still, you know, that's like saying, well, anyway, there's, there's a lot of things we could say about that, but you know, it's still, you know, being the most free in Canada sometimes isn't always what it's cracked up to be, but yeah, so it can be expensive. So that's good. I'm glad I was wondering, and you, you know, because that's, that's a, that can be a huge problem, pain in the butt process, you know, yeah. is getting just the paperwork in place. Right. So, yeah, yeah. We're dealing with enough paperwork, just, um, getting the property, uh, divided off from the larger lot. They have, you know, there's each County has its own zoning laws and rules and stuff. And, um, you know, some are, some don't care. You can sell a, a star shaped half acre if you want. And some, you know, are very particular. So we have to go through some hoops to get the property divided off, but it's not terrible. And that's actually another spot where um, having an old house on the property benefits us because it kind of gets us um, through some of the red tape, which is kind of nice. See, that's what I was wondering. Cause where I grew up on the East coast in Nova Scotia, that was always a big thing is people would always look to buy land in the country that had a house on it that they could tear down because then a lot of times your septic or your electrical or a lot of different things were grandfathered in. So is that, is that a little bit of the kind of that uh, situation for you? Yeah, to a degree. Um, it allows you to buy a smaller plot of land without having to go through a zoning board and getting it approved uh, versus if you were to buy just raw land or uh, land that had a newer house on it. Okay. Um, I don't know. You know, I actually don't know about the, I haven't really looked into whether or not your septic is grandfathered in just because I don't intend to use what's there, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I'd actually have to look into that, but it's uh, it definitely comes with some of its perks. I mean, it's got its own address already, you know, and we don't, we won't nice. mess with anything. We'll just throw up a mailbox. So that's cool. And you are comfortable or planning on building this entire thing from scratch yourself basically i don't know about comfortable but i'm doing it <laughs> <laughs> hey i love to hear that so <laughs> yeah so um i will hire out the concrete flat work i've done just enough of that to know that i hate doing it and there are people who are far better at it than i am <laughs> and especially much yes much quicker and on a large scale so I mean, if you've ever done any concrete work, you know, it can get out of hand really fast, um, especially depending on the time of year that you're pouring. So I'm going to hire that out. Um, I, I can do drywall, but I despise it. And I have yeah. a ton of family that do it. So I'm going to hire an uncle to help <laughs> me um, do the drywall um, and he'll make it look better than I will faster than I will. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hiring an architect. Um, I could probably draw up the plans, but it's worth it to me to pay him um, the $2 a square foot to have his wisdom and knowledge on hand and uh, have a really nice set of plans that I can look at and work up all my costs and, you know, all that stuff. So that's, that's good. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable. Like I said earlier, I've got all these people I can ask questions to if need be. I have plumber friends. I have HVAC friends. I have electrician friends. Um, you know, none of that stuff is something I'm super comfortable with, but, um, you know, I can, I can ask anything I need to and get help if I have to, but, uh, yeah, 
we're going to do it. I my one of my biggest question marks or concerns was the ICF itself. Pouring that was kind of yeah. intimidating, but I actually had the chance to help with that uh, one of those just in the last few weeks. So I think I saw that you posted on social, didn't you about that a little bit? Did I see you? Yeah. Yeah. And we have a video. Yeah. We have a video on that. Um, Yeah. Nobody really does ICF in our area. It costs a little bit more up front and, you know, everybody just goes with conventional framing. We're not in an insanely crazy climate area. um, So it's not, you know, our value on your wall is not as big of a concern as it might be in like your area or something. But, (laughs) um, <laughs> I I really want to build a house that's going to be an asset and not cost us an insane amount of money to live in. So that's kind of the reason we chose the ICF. And there was somebody a couple miles up the road who was actually doing an ICF uh, project, and I got in touch with them and was able to help with the with the poor. And I mean that took like almost all of my concerns and chucked them out the window. It was really straightforward, and I'm not I'm not super worried about it now. So. It's funny how getting a chance to help somebody on a job can take away a whole bunch of anxiety, can it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it it was it was crazy, and it was actually funny. The um, one of the YouTube channels that I've been watching a lot of, doing a lot of research on um, ICF, he actually was at that job filming. Oh and no way! Yeah, so that was really crazy. He's been doing ICF for like seven years, so I got to pick his brain. And uh, we even talked YouTube a fair bit. And uh, he's, his channel is actually really young. He started like a year ago. Um, and it blew up because he posted about an ICF pool. And ICF and pools were both super popular during COVID. Yep. And uh, so he got like 300,000 views on that video. And he was monetized in like 11 weeks or something. Crazy. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Good for him, man. I love hearing yeah. success. It, yeah. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. Hey, whatever. Just one thing. We um, just up the road from me here. There was an elderly lady passed away. She was a bit of a hoarder. And uh, there was a guy who owned a uh, antique shop in the city, uh, Curiosity Incorporated. And they ended up taking over this house and they called it the Potter's House series. And I mean, it, the production value was as good as something you'd see on the discovery channel. And oh, his cool. first video got like a million views and it just blew his channel up. And it, oh my gosh. it basically paid for all the renovations on the house, you know? So it, it's, it's cool, right? It, it's just, yeah, awesome. it's, it's a really neat, uh, another Avenue for, you know, entrepreneurs or people with a little bit of freedom or flexibility in their schedule. Sure. Yeah. That's very cool. So you guys, let's uh, let's talk about preparedness a little bit because you guys obviously okay. you'd be <laughs> self 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 professed preppers or at least into preparedness, I would assume. Yeah, um, and that that's a not to you know that's a broad topic. So you know you go wherever yeah. you want with it, but yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean I don't roll around with a gas mask in the back seat of the van or anything like that. So you're but, you're um, practical like me, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, um, you know, how I found you was through the survival podcast, Jack Spearco's mm-hmm. stuff. And I really kind of ascribe to his kind of line of thinking on that kind of thing. Um, and it really goes back to being debt free and the entrepreneurship stuff. It's It just makes sense when you're basically the only person that can really take care of yourself to have some extra set aside and, um, you know, the tools and stuff that you need to get yourself out of a pinch and protect yourself and all that stuff. So, yeah, um, I'd say other people, if they if they know me or knew how we live, they would call us preppers. Um, maybe not 
like the doomsday prepper types. Yeah, but, I wouldn't call myself that either, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think most rational preppers that call themselves that. <laughs> no. But yeah, we, um, we've worked towards that throughout our marriage. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was pretty slow going early on because we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, um, I know the we, feeling. Yeah, yeah. So we've kind of ramped it up, you know, in the last few years. And we really ramped it up in the last couple um so so you um obviously your wife preppers, i guess yeah your your wife being a partner in on this like you uh she she's on board with that too is she yes she is i'm super blessed that i'm my wife is very much our line of thinking just parallels really really well and um she's Love very it. she's very forgiving and puts up with my shenanigans but uh pretty much see eye to eye on most things. And that's, that's one of them. So I don't, I don't know if, if she'd you know, be interested it's not too hard to sell the... down the road. Like I'm going to be doing more episodes with my wife and I'm sure I would love to have you and her on sometime if she'd ever, you know, be so inclined. So I probably could talk her into that. She's in the other mm -hmm. room. She might hear okay. this right now and be, that's all right. Yeah. Just, we'll you know, down the, down the road in, in the new year, we're going to, I think we're going to go to two live streams a week and uh, I'm going to have my cool. wife on at least a couple of times uh, a month. And I'd love to get into more uh, talking to couples and things like that because, you know, family's family, yeah. right? And it's not, you're not just a, we, you're not just a standalone dad or a standalone mom. We got to work together on it. Right. So. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're interviewing me, but she's probably a more integral part of the channel than I am because she does all of the editing, a lot of the filming and, um, you know, her, her hands are really in that. So. Yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be super fun. She's a good editor too. You can tell her that. I, I The videos are awesome. Way better than mine. But okay, I, I will. Yeah, I yeah. To, every time I hear a compliment, I try to send it her way. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, you guys, you, you just went from a, a fairly, you know, a small house, but now you're, you've moved to an even smaller kind of, I think you said 600 square feet in a basement. How have you handled your preps and your preparedness? Yep. What, what have you even done? Like, what, what did you do to kind of shift things sideways there? Man, um, well, it was very interesting. We had to do some strategizing. <laughs> yep. We've got some friends who are um, very close <laughs> to us who, you know, if things got super, super weird, we'd probably, um, we, we would, you know, have a mutual comfort with being in close proximity with each other. So we asked them if they minded if we stored the bulk of our perishable preps with with them and so we have the majority of our of our food and you know a lot of our food based stuff is uh in their basement um so that took care of a lot of it which boy if you've got you know a bunch of food preps put up and you go to move you really start to realize <laughs> yep <laughs> it adds up super fast um it's been a little tricky being in a small space, um, you know, we're 25 minutes from the town that we do most of our shopping in. Okay. So if you go run out of something, you know, it's not really feasible to make a trip to town unless you just have to have it. And in the past, we've had a deep pantry, you know, where we've got multiple duplicates, you know, of things that we use on a regular basis. And now we have less space. So we've actually just this week really tried to maximize um, you know, that space, you know, and try to deepen our pantry a little bit, kind of recovering from the move. Um, 
we don't have anything like what we used to, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it can only do what we can do. And right now we're just, we're really trying to focus on the house because getting that goal accomplished will put us so much further down the road with, you know, being prepared and kind of, you know, independent. So, and that's kind of where we're at. Life's funny though. Hey, like you can try to be as prepared as you want, but there's times when you go through seasons, like where you need to downsize and maybe take a chance or, or like I said, just slimline things so that you can maybe be more prepared and more self-sufficient down the road. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not by any means the same as what, you know, the pioneers and the settlers did back in the day, but it's not necessarily (laughs) dissimilar. You know, those guys, you know, they took the bare minimum with them and set off on an insane journey and they were kind of had their pants down for a few months there while they were getting set up, but you know, gotta take risks. So. Right on. And so what are your goals? Like you guys are, this is kind of cool. I love talking to people who have kind of a blank slate and you're, you're heading toward, but what do you see some of your homesteading preparedness? What are you going to build into your property as you go? Like what are your long-term plans for that kind of stuff? So, um, I guess probably start with the house. The house is going to be built um, very much in the mindset of long term. So, you know, that's part of the reason we chose the ICF, which if you're not familiar with ICF, might throw this out there real quick for those that don't know. Mm -hmm. It's a foam Lego, basically, that you fill with concrete. So you stack up these foam walls and then come in and pour your concrete in after and so our basement and our first story wall will be solid concrete um so it'll be very durable and very efficient um down the road solar is very much something i would like to get into um and hopefully it will cost us quite a bit less to put solar in because our heating and cooling costs will be much less because of the efficiency of the house um we're going to put a metal roof on the house so that can be plumbed directly Yes. Oh my gosh. I hate asphalt shingles. Um, for so many reasons, but yes, yeah, (laughs) for so many reasons. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, that'll make for a lot cleaner roof. We have a cistern already on site, um, that I intend to plumb our gutter into and, um, it's at the highest elevation on the property basically. So we'll be able to gravity feed gardens or animals or pretty much anything we want from that cistern. And I, I haven't done the math yet, but I'd say it's well over 5,000 gallons. So, you know, it's Ooh. a consider- considerable amount of water. Um, the We kind of put the animals on the back burner right now mm-hmm. just because we have so much going on. We do, we do have yep. chickens. We had chickens in town, and we moved them out here with us when we, we came out. Um, nice. I did get two more chickens, and I chickens don't generally do, that, don't do stuff like that. What's that? Chickens seem to multiply, don't they? When people know you're chicken people, they want to either give them to you or yeah. Yeah, we I actually did some work for a customer and they had these really neat. In fact, actually, I think they're the same cross that uh, Jack has that he's been talking about mm-hmm. lately. They're really cool looking. Send them to freezer camp. So I saved them. <laughs> but uh, down the road, um, we'll definitely be building a shop. Um, not having a shop is driving me absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, the shop will be, um, it ha- it'll have some living quarters in it in case we need to have a parent or a friend stay with us to kind of help them through life, you know, 
if we get in this, if they're in a similar situation as we are right now, um, get some more animals down the road. We definitely want to get pigs. Um, we're probably going to get a cow calf pair. Maybe, I don't know if we're going to mess with a milk cow or not. That's, that's mm. remains to be seen, but, um, yeah. Um, solar is definitely a high priority. We'll put a wood stove in so that we have backup heat. Um, there's tons of good, uh, firewood on the property. So that would nice. be nice. That would be pretty cool. So what kind of, uh, uh, what kind of land is around there? Like a lot of trees and that sort of thing, or. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty healthy mix of pasture, row crops, and um, trees. So around here, there's a lot, there's a lot of creeks and small rivers and streams and nice. stuff. And you'll generally always find a lot of trees in those areas. Um, a lot of fence rows will have trees in them, and there will be some standing timber. I mean, there's a fair amount of standing timber. Also, we have a lot of um, like hardwoods, oaks, and hickory and walnut and you know that sort of thing um in our you know specific neck of the woods there's almost no row crops directly around us it's all either pasture or woods or um, you know something along those lines so um it's it's a pretty good mix it's not a real hilly country it's pretty smooth we're we're you know pretty close to kansas so it starts getting into the kind of the plains pretty fast if you head west joseph says pretty much everything that he doesn't have in oklahoma so oh, hey. <laughs> east texas homestead just dropped in to uh have a drive-by to say hello as well so if you if you know east texas he's another youtuber uh that's come hey, out of cool. the survival podcast so nice nice to cool. see you i'll have to check him out yeah he's awesome really good he does some propane stuff just a lot of things he was in the collab video with us earlier this year so Okay, cool. You said he does some propane stuff. What do you mean? Uh, I, the last video, one of the, um, was it refilling the one pound tanks, a bunch yeah, of different, some really cool stuff. So a really nice yeah. guy. Yeah. Cool, he's got great. a pretty, pretty good sized channel there. And I was going to mention too, back a little ways, Ken said, he goes, most folks who lived rural before the 1950s would be considered preppers or just common sense people, right? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and that's, really gets back to what he was saying about um, staying out of debt, what Ken was saying about staying out of debt, because I mean, you were your own support system. So you had to have a deep pantry, you know, for tough times. That's how my grandparents on both sides were, you know, my grandma had a massive garden. She sewed all of her kids clothes. My, my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side had like seven, seven or eight kids. And <laughs> um, she made all, she made all their own clothes. She had, you know, probably a solid acre and a half of garden. They raised pigs and cows and yeah, by today's standard, they'd be super preppers, but they were just normal back then. That, that was, that was just called being a regular citizen, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> totally. That's it was yeah. a responsible citizen. <laughs> so what has been, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've run into a ton, but I mean, you, I, I love your story. It's awesome. It's cool. But what, what has been I, the biggest challenge, the biggest hurdle, I don't know, the biggest negative aspect of it so far? And, um, I put you on the spot. See? Yeah. So there's a bit of hurry up and wait right now. Um, that's not, that kind of rubs against my nature. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. We can't really tear down the house until, um, it, the property is rezoned and everything. Um, and just the delays with, 
with, um, you know, the ICF blocks are like eight to 10 weeks out from the day of order. All the surveyors, all of those people are all very, very backed up. Um, and, you know, we're heading into winter. So I'd really like to get this thing kind of going and dried in sooner than later so that, you know, I'm not out there suffering from frostbite as I try to put this thing together. But How um, cold does it get there? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> Last winter was pretty pretty out of character for Missouri. I think we had some solid days in a row of negative, you know, 10 type temperatures, which is, you know, we definitely are under freezing a lot, but okay. getting into the negative teens for more than one day is pretty not normal for us, but that happened a lot last year. <laughs> so the complete opposite of Alberta then pretty much. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Do, um, are you guys, I don't mind the cold, but are you guys uh tornado country there too? Sorry if I'm a little off on my geography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely in tornado alley. In fact, we were under a tornado warning or watch. I can never get remember which one's the one that actually matters. <laughs> but um, I think that's about warning, how but most, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the attitude of most Midwesterners towards tornadoes. <laughs> we're pretty casual about it. But yeah, they um you know, and that's most houses around here do have basements for that reason or storm shelters or something. So, you know, that'll be, are you guys uh, going to build anything in for that? Yeah, we'll definitely have, you know, we'll have a full basement and um, I'm probably going to have a little corner of the basement. That's actually all concrete with like a concrete, you know, ceiling on it. Mm -hmm. In fact, we may, I haven't decided yet. I still have to talk to my architect a little bit more, but we actually are considering having our whole first floor, be concrete um there's some pluses and minuses to that but right now the advantech and a lot of the you know engineered floor joists and stuff are still pretty high mm -hmm. so the gap is still a little closer than it normally is on cost and you know it would be pretty neat to have the entire basement be basically a bunker <laughs> that would be awesome yeah is yeah, it so, so is it something you would actually get some use out of then in your area or oh yeah so for, for in our area like for instance like right now i live in a basement so it's a full basement with a you know kitchen bathroom bedrooms the works um and a lot of people in our area finish out their basements so we will be doing probably nine and a half foot uh basement walls and nice. so even after the floor joists go in we'll have you know probably eight foot ceilings and, um, you know, we'll, we'll put a bedroom down there and we'll probably stub in some plumbing for, um, a bathroom and a kitchenette down the road. Um, so we can finish it out and add some square foot to the house later on. That'll be awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's neat. Like, I, I guess Alberta actually is probably one of the, I know it sounds funny, but like one of the most temperate weather wise, like I grew up on the East coast where, you know, sometimes we'd get the tail end of hurricane, sometimes like a level two mm -hmm. or whatever, but blizzards were horrible there. Like we'd get, you know, sure. 12, 18 inches of wet, heavy snow or worse. Right. But out here, <laughs> oh, man. it's pretty rare. Like we, I'm sure you've seen, or maybe haven't, but we, you know, once, once December gets here, I can blow the snow off of the backpack blower. Like it's Florida sand. Ted's not in here tonight, but he always yeah, loves yeah. hearing that. Cause he's from Florida, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen you uh, bust out the snow the the leaf blower to move snow around. That's pretty cool. Down here, usually the snow's pretty wet, 
Um, mm-hmm. It's not uncommon for us to get a few inches of snow and then it'd be gone within 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. But, um, you know, every once in a while we'll get some powdery stuff. But So what's yeah, the we get, most extreme, or sorry, most extreme weather you'd get in your area that you'd have to kind of deal with? Um, it, so we get into the, you know, 90 high 90 humidity. Um, and then winter, you know, like I said, we can get into the 15 below 20 below that's, you know, not days and days of it. Usually. Um, I think the most severe weather I have ever seen in my life was when I was a kid, we had a massive ice storm Mm. and it took down power lines everywhere. It was awesome. <laughs> we were we were basically camping in the house for like a week and a half. We didn't have power, and I thought it was great. I was sad when it was over. <laughs> but, <laughs> Funny uh, how that is. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yes, ice storms can really do a number on power lines around here. Uh, depending on what part of Missouri you're in, flooding can be a major concern. Um, I've got family that are big time farmers, probably thirty minutes, forty five minutes, nah, thirty minutes from here. And they farm in the in the bottom uh, river bottoms, and okay, uh, I've seen floods that can take houses and tractors and move them around. So, oh yes, sir. Okay, yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, everywhere has its weather, right? But it's cool. Yeah. I, I every time I talk to somebody from a different part of the country, I always love to get a feel for what life's like because it's ah, it's just neat, you know. Sure. I think honestly, though, as far as the rest of the country goes our weather's pretty mild. We don't have forest fires. We don't have mudslides. We don't really have earthquakes, you know, tornadoes freak some people out, but I've never seen a tornado in my life. I've seen where they've gone through, but mm-hmm. no, it's not that big of a deal. So, you know, it's pretty uh, chill living here in Missouri for sure. So the house that you're building, I'm, what are some skills that you've never done before that you're looking forward to learning building this? Oh man. Um, well, planning a house build is definitely a skill that I do not have that I am currently trying to get. Um, <laughs> honestly, that will probably be the biggest one. Just thinking ahead and planning everything you're going to need. And especially right now with, um, you know, wait times on materials and stuff, trying to schedule that stuff. So you don't get to the next stage and then realize you should have ordered that, you know, three months before. Um, I'm trying to not be in that position as far as skills go. Um, I'm not real keen on electrical. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be leaning on some other people's expertise with that pretty heavy. I've never dug a basement before. I'm going to dig my own basement. Um, make sure you take video of that. I got to see it. Oh yeah, for sure. All that's gonna, all this is going to get videoed. So I'm hoping to do do some pretty good time-lapse stuff on some of the, some of that stuff that's going to take a long time, but it will look pretty neat. Mm. Um, Concrete work. I've messed with it a little bit. um, But like I said, it's not something I'm super familiar with, but I'm, like I said, I'm going to hire out the flat work. So, you know, I'll just be pouring the walls. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with plumbing. I'm going to do all that myself. Um, Like I can frame everything. I'm not worried about that. The um, HVAC, I have a real good friend. It's actually the guy who's got our food stored in his basement. He's a commercial HVAC guy and uh, very, very knowledgeable. So we're going to actually work some trade. He's going to come out and help me get all that stuff put in. So 
Yeah, I'd say just planning the entire thing is probably the most intimidating part of it, to be honest, especially since I'm not super organized. <laughs> and this will this will bring everything together too. Like this is probably one of those. Um, I mean, it it it's an opportunity to bring every skill you've learned in the past, bring them all together, and kind of learn something new too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's really funny. I feel like um, the house we just sold was kind of like the training wheel. Yeah, yeah. For this project and they just came off <laughs> and we're going downhill so uh <laughs> but uh you know like i said earlier i've kind of got to the point where i've got enough know-how that i feel like i can just dive in and figure it out and you know do you ever not too do you ever get nervous like i you know it's funny i had to put some windows in the other day and i hadn't done windows in a you know probably a year right so the night before i'm like honestly i was nervous again it, it's fun like it, yeah. it's a good nervous but so do, do you too sometimes yeah. or yeah oh for sure i just did a project um this summer for some friends they wanted a 36 by 15 covered porch added on to their shop house yes sir and uh <laughs> we did like timber frame so we had huge cedar timbers like six by eight and i think we even had some eight by ten maybe uh, cedar wow. timbers. And, um, I did that. The homeowner helped me when I needed it, but I did basically the whole thing by myself. That was, that was really stretching my, um, my skills and my comfort level. And it went great. Um, it turned out really, really nice. They're super happy with it and nobody died. So <laughs> are, <laughs> pretty, are you your you know, own worst critic? I, um, are you not that's too probably bad. safe to say? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not super hard on myself, but I, I tend to do a decent job managing my expectations. So, well, that's good. I, I try to deliver a quality project um, to people. I'm, but I also deliver the level of work for the level of cost. So, I mean, kind of try to balance. Yeah, that. I can. I ask you. I, I know we never talked about it a whole lot, but you mentioned homeschooling. We still got a few more minutes, but um, yeah, sure. how have you guys balanced that out uh, with this move and everything as well? Um, so Hannah, my wife, is an angel and has the most <laughs> insane amount of patience that I think I've ever seen. Um, she was homeschooled basically her entire life. And so she has kind of a bit of a foundation to work off of. Okay. Um, every kid's different. So, you know, like my oldest is a lot like me. I actually was severely dyslexic when I was in school and I've kind of gotten over that now, but, um, it was definitely a challenge early on. And I think he probably deals with a little bit of that, but, um, she has done a really good job of keeping everything on track and on schedule and uh, adjusting, you know, the, the boys don't really like to do school. They'd rather be outside helping dad, you yep. know, build driveways and tear down trees and demolish houses and stuff. So we have to be really creative in how we motivate them to get their schoolwork done so that, you know, they can come pitch in. But um, yeah, she's done a really good job and she, she kind of pieces together the curriculum a little bit. Um, finds what works for her and the kids and mm -hmm. um so she does a little bit of uh hybrid you know type stuff so what's uh what's next for you, you icf is that or you're going to dig the basement is that the next thing or where, where are you heading? yeah so 
so next thing will be as soon as the the property is legally ours i'll demo the house and uh we're gonna i've got to remove some of the stuff that you don't want to burn and then we'll be burning the you know the burnables and mm-hmm. then once that's done we'll start digging the basement um as soon as my architect gives me the go ahead i'm ordering the icf blocks and then we've got a a stopwatch that starts when that happens and when those show up it's time to party that's so, awesome I'm going to be watching yeah. that with bated breath. I, I want it. I, I used to sell ICF at the hardware store where I worked for a lot of years and I love the oh, concept, cool. but I haven't yeah. done it. So I yeah. would, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching. It'll be good, man. Yeah. I'm excited. I really, it's, it's going to be, it's very DIY friendly and it's, it's going to be very easy for the, the wife and kids to help, you know, the blocks only weigh 10 pounds, maybe. Um, so we can all pitch in and have a blast building Legos. That's awesome. So, and we're coming up on an hour here. So tell us then, I, wh- where can we find you? Uh, what are your social media presences? Other people want to, you know, definitely get out there and follow Skylar for sure. So tell me, yeah, what do, what do you need to tell us about you? Okay. So, well, we're definitely on YouTube. Um, we've, we've been doing that basically since we started this project and we're working really hard to try to grow our, our presence there. I just kind of took over the Instagram stuff. Um, I've got some experience with running Instagram in the past for a business I used to have. So I'm taking over that for mama so she doesn't have to worry about it because it's not really in her wheelhouse and she's working like crazy to edit videos. So we're basically on Instagram and YouTube. I have a personal MeWe account and then we definitely want to get our videos up on Odyssey. We haven't done that yet. Um, unfortunately, but that will be coming for sure. Our uh, resident country music artist here, Greg Arcade, he's from Manitoba, real cool dude. He wants to know what your channel name is. Oh yeah, I'm not very good at this promotion thing, am I? <laughs> it's on, G-Tribe Chronicles. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. G-Tribe Chronicles. So we'll, if you look that up on YouTube, we've got like 80 something subs. So if you find somebody with a little bitty channel, that's us. <laughs> and we and definitely sh- appreciate it. It should be in the description of this live stream. I'm like 98% sure I put it there. And if I forgot, it'll be there before it finishes doing whatever it does after the live stream finishes up. So awesome. I really appreciate that, Tim. Yeah, no, no worries. And guys, you got to check it out because they they have something special with their their vlog kind of channel. They obviously they're in love. You can tell that, but they just they they get along well. They they put out good content and they're they're really cool, really cool family. So it's fun to watch. Well, I, it, it's been really great talking to you. I've, I've been watching you well before you hit a thousand subs and it's, it's kind of fun talking with you and hanging out. You know, I feel like I already know you cause I watch your content, but, uh, I've had a blast talking with you. No, thanks Skylar. We'll, uh, we'll definitely look at getting you and the missus back on down the road for sure. So I'll, uh, if you want to hang on just a second, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll slide you out of the video here. I'll finish up and, uh, we'll chat for a minute afterwards. Sounds good. Thanks guys. All right, guys. So that was an awesome interview. Uh, thanks again for Skylar dropping on. I, I just, yeah, it's great. Thanks guys. Have a good night, Chris. Uh, it was nice having you guys in here. And like I said, next Thursday uh, or this Thursday coming will be next week's live stream. So we'll meet you guys all there. Same time, seven o'clock mountain, nine o'clock Eastern. And guys, thanks for dropping by. Cause I know you can spend your time anywhere and I always appreciate you hanging out with us in the workshop. So as always guys stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. 
Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. It's Saturday morning, which means it's time for another edition of Weekend Workshop. And this one is something totally different. A little more off the cuff, but we recently hit a huge milestone in subscribers that I never really thought. Well, I did. I knew we would, but it still blows me out of the water. We just hit 2,500 subscribers, which is incredible. Thank you guys. So I figured we haven't done a subscriber special since 250 or 500. I should have looked back. I think it was 250. It's been well over a year since we did a subscriber special. And our community has grown by leaps and bounds. There's so many new names. Uh, I don't have faces to put with you, but I see so many new people commenting on videos and dropping into the live stream and sending me emails and comments on the web page and questions to be answered. Thank you. Because if it wasn't for you guys, this workshop would not be here. So thank you. And I figured since there's so many new faces, new names to put with those faces and so many new community members, I thought it might be time for me to go back and share my story with you. Now, if you've been here from the beginning, thank you. You may have heard this story before. And if you have and you want to stick around, great. There's no ads in this video. This is just a thank you video for you guys being there. And you know some of you who have been there since the very beginning. Thank you. So you might say, well, Tim, what makes you, what, what makes you an expert? Well, first off, let me tell you, you know what makes me an expert? Failure makes me an expert. <laughs> Failing over and over and over again and learning from every single failure has made me an expert. Am I an expert? No. Am I on an expert council for the Survival Podcast? Yep. Does that make me an expert? Nope. <laughs> I know things because I've done things and because I've screwed up a lot. So who am I? What am I? What do I do? Why did I start this? Why do I continue to put out five pieces of content a week? What am I passionate about and why am I here? Well, first off, if you guys are ever looking for a source of freedom, entrepreneurship is the way to go. Now it may not be for everybody, but I honestly think some form of entrepreneurship is for just about everyone. You know, build business, create community, find freedom. That third, of four statements in our mission statement, the finding freedom is the important part to me. It's one of the, it's the core principle of preparedness. It, it's the core principle of finding your way in life and having a mission and a purpose and something that gets you out of bed. It, it's something that allows you to move beyond the doldrums of nine to five. And it's something that allows you to just do what you're supposed to do, live how you're supposed to live and have that freedom. I'm not going to go too far into it, but you know, I always say the second best time to do something is now. Of course, the first best time was 20 years ago when you had a chance or whatever. But if you're thinking about it and you're like, well, I've put it off, I've put it off. I'm telling you, let, let, let's go back quite a few years. So I would say we'll start this story at around, you know, my early 20s when my wife and I met. I uh, finished up university, had a Bachelor of Arts degree in youth studies. I was working as a night manager at Dairy Queen. And the very first step in my life that really shaped what I was to become down the road 
was just a drive-through customer at Dairy Queen. I, I got a phone call one night just before the Christmas party and they said, hey Tim, I'm the owner of the local hardware store. I'd like you to come work for me. And I didn't know a nut from a bolt uh, at all. And I, I said, nah, thanks, I'm happy at Dairy Queen. He says, well, when you change your mind, give me a call back. And about three months later, I get another phone call from him. He's like, Tim, I love how you treat me going through drive through You're a real people person and a customer service kind of guy. I'd like you to come work for me. And I thought, you know what? I just spent $40,000 on a paper education that I'm not going to use. I might as well go get a real world education and learn a little bit about what things are, where they go, how to fix things. I thought there's no, I, I, I remember just that day at work at Dairy Queen thinking there's no better education than going to a hardware store and learning all the ins and the outs of hardware building supplies and the whole works. And you know what? For nearly seven years, I was there and I got that free education. In that time, I met my wife. I got married. We ended up growing our family to five plus us, so seven. <laughs> we had a huge family. And did I mention we were broke? Always broke. Never had two even pennies to rub together. So what I had to do was I had to learn how to put everything together myself, how to fix things, how to make something from nothing. I had to, you know, build fences out of uh, chewing gum, spit, baling twine, and literally logs that washed up on the shore uh, down in the cove on the, in the saltwater bay. All of that. We had to make do with as little as possible, and that made me rather handy. You know, it ran in my family. My grandfather was a real handy kind of guy, but I, of course, my dad was too, but when I was a teenager in early 20s, I thought I knew more than he did and just never really listened to him. So then all of a sudden I got a family, had to fix things, and dad was a wealth of information. So I started talking to him and learning from him. And that, that whole nearly seven years at the hardware store was a huge, huge education for me. So I ran with it. I learned a lot. I burnt myself out. I learned that I was incredible at sales. I loved to sell. And I learned that... I didn't want to be doing that for the rest of my life because I'd probably die of a stroke. My blood pressure was through the roof. I had too many responsibilities. This was 100% my fault. I don't blame anyone else because I allowed it all to get dumped on me because I couldn't say no. So I walked away. I, did, I didn't quit. I just walked away. I left on a Friday and never went back. Um, yeah, I don't recommend quitting like that, but uh, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. I took a job uh, selling computer software over the internet for a year and a half, did quite well with that. And in the meantime, we were still really struggling. And so we decided that it was time for me to, well, for us, for a change. And we lived on the East Coast and I had a, a job offer to come out and work in the oil patch in Alberta, 5,000 and some kilometers away. I didn't even have enough for the plane ticket. I had to borrow half the money uh, to buy that plane ticket to fly out here on the promise of a fold-up cot in the living room of my in-laws mobile home which I will be forever grateful for them for that. So I came out, I slept on the cot, I got two jobs offered to me right away, I picked the best one and I was making $27 an hour. I'd never made more than 13 in my life, it blew me away, I thought this is incredible. So within three months, I found a, a house because this place was packed out here, hard to find anywhere. Found a house to rent, moved my family out three months later. But in that meantime, my incredible wife who was supporting me was back in a 130-year-old house with five kids trying to work, trying to get the kids to school, and trying to keep that house together 
from not falling apart or down around her. She did an incredible job and I love her for it. And she supported me the entire time and it was hard. There was one night I used to have an office at the, at the house and Becky didn't tell me till months later, but our little Charlotte was two and a half years old and she came in the bedroom crying to Becky and she said, daddy's supposed to be in that office. And I was 5,000 kilometers away and I couldn't do anything about it. But sometimes you have to make, take a leap of faith to find out that incredible things can happen. And so we were doing well. My wife was doing well. We had our bills paid off. We decided to take a trip to Las Vegas. The first day of my wife's vacation, we'd been in Alberta for 12 months. The worldwide price of oil crashed. They called my wife in and laid her off on the spot the day before we went to Las Vegas. Very first time we could ever afford a trip in our married life. So over the next year, we hung on uh, in the oil patch until um, my company folded up and I was unemployed and I decided, hey, guess what? I am going to start a handyman business because I know how to be handy and I didn't charge enough and I didn't take on the right type of work and I didn't find enough work. So for that year, I barely survived. I let my wife work and I kind of felt like a bag of poo sometimes because I wasn't finding enough work. And sometimes you try that entrepreneurial venture and sometimes you do fail and sometimes you got to try again. So I decided it was time to take a job at another hardware store. Yay, blood pressure. So I took that job under the understanding in my brain that this was something I could do and I had to do something because I was going crazy at home. I took that job for 12 months and in that time I worked day and night. I worked, uh, you know, eight to five at the hardware store, building supply store. I worked mornings, afternoons, evenings, shoveling snow, blowing snow, uh, doing landscaping, hauling down demolition jobs, whatever I could take, uh, renovating rentals. I picked up a whole bunch of work for an incredible couple that's turned into an incredible relationship of work over the years. And over those 12 months, I killed myself working to build All Seasons Maintenance, which is my uh, now going on, it'll be five years in April that I have been running this business. It'll be four since I told the man to shove it straight up his ass. Actually, I walked away from that job too, although I, I give them notice, but I had a bit of a breakdown there too, burnout and not good. But I did, I told, I, that's it. I decided it was time to work for myself and that was four, well, just about four years ago right now. And I've had a very successful handyman business. I've learned what works, what doesn't work. I've learned how to make money. I've learned what I love to do. I've learned what I hate to do. Uh, I've learned that I like to work by myself for the most part, but I also have learned that I've had to rely on other people. And in the meantime, I've been able to put my knowledge into tools, just incredible stuff that I've been able to run through the ringer and see what works and what doesn't. I've been able to gain a knowledge on products, cleaners, adhesives, all of that stuff that I've used, that I've been able to use in my business. And it's just built something I've always been passionate about. I love talking about tools, building supplies, hardware to people when I worked at the hardware store. And I needed an outlet for that now because my wife got absolutely tired of listening to me. So I thought, well, about, it'll be two years ago, just about right now. I made my very first YouTube video and it was a one minute and 30 some second video on how to clean windows. I thought, yep, my video, my channel, this channel here, this is the, what started as the All Seasons Maintenance YouTube channel was going to be a how-to channel. And, and in some ways it is today. In some ways it's just about everything that it was along the path. 
but I started out with a few of those videos and you know what I did? I literally leaned my camera up against a wall and I talked to it. I had no tripod, I had no recording gear, that was it. Just me with this great big old terrorist beard on my face, sitting in my office talking about things. Uh, you know, two of those videos I made way back then are still two of my highest performing videos to this day. A little two and a half minute video on how to fix sagging ceiling tiles and another two and a half minute video on how to paint over cigarette smoke on ceilings. Just, you know, it was stuff I was already doing in rentals and I thought this is what I need to do. And I started and it never really caught on and I thought, what am I doing wrong? So I got a, uh, a note or um, an offer to go on to a podcast, Living Free in Tennessee with Nicole. I've always been very active in the survival podcast community. Nicole's podcast turned to be an offshoot of that. And I thought, well, I want to do that. And so I was supposed to go on around November and believe it or not, I chickened out. I just, I didn't want to do it. I had no interest in that, doing that sort of thing. And I was like, you know what? No, I backed out and I said, no, I don't think. She goes, well, why don't we reschedule? So we rescheduled for February. And over Christmas, I have a lot of downtime, and I got thinking, I'm like, this is something I want to do. I want to help people. I want to teach people. I want to inspire people. I want to share my knowledge. And so I decided that I would do a 10-part video series all on becoming a handyman with little or no money using what you have on hand already. And that 10-part series is still on my channel. It's what launched this channel two years ago this coming February. That's kind of the real... If you ask me, you know, the soft opening, the soft grand opening was two years ago in November, and the real launch was February when I made my appearance on uh, Living Free in Tennessee. And from that time on, I just used every opportunity I could to grow this channel because I knew, I, and if you're looking at doing something like this, do it. If you need permission, I give it to you. But remember, when I first started with this channel, for months I had, you know, I kind of topped out at around 80 subscribers and the only people that watched my videos were my twin, what, nine-year-old girls at the time, my wife and my mom. And I think even they stopped watching after a bit. But I kept making the videos for you guys that are here now. I made all of this stuff so that I'd get better, I'd learn how to improve, so I'd be able to show you guys a better product, better information, and hopefully grow a community around that that we can share and exchange information. And all of that was all in the back of my mind right from the very first day. And I think that's what's really helped me. And from there, so about three months later, that was February, April, I got a chance to be on uh, Jack Spierko's The Survival Podcast. He has a listener audience of about a quarter million people. That was a big friggin' deal. And I thought I'd shoot for the moon. I'm like, you know what? If I'm gonna be on here, I'm gonna get a couple of minutes to myself to chat with him. I'm gonna make a pitch. So at the end of the recording, I thought it went really well. I said, Jack, I think you need a handyman on your expert council. And he says, Tim, I think you might be right. He says, I'll give you a shot. So he calls me, sends me a, uh, an email the very next day. And he says, you don't have to do this, but if you want to put a segment together, I'm short for content, send it to me and we'll give you a tryout. Well, I pulled over to the side of the road right that minute, downloaded a voice recording app, recorded something about the three best tools or five best tools, I can't even quite remember now, sent it to him, and that was two years ago, just about, well, a year and a half, year and three quarters now, in probably 50-some segments on the Survival Podcast since. I've used that incredible exposure. He gave me an incredible chance there to develop an audience and to honestly 
have a part of his audience to start with and that was huge that really started growing this channel i brought a lot of people in and i was able to really build my passions into this channel you know things like emergency uh, backup power like generators i could talk about them all day tools i could talk about dewalt cordless tools till the cows come home and preparedness you know i've been a prepper since y2k <laughs> basically that's a long story we won't get into that today but i really have been and i'm passionate about being prepared and about making sure my family's looked after and taken care of and that was something i really wanted to be a part of this channel and that's the part that's growing the most now so where did we go from there well we we, we we've built you know i i had an incredible uh, 100 subscriber special where we just filmed it in the backyard here me and my two daughters and pretended to light the sign on fire and i still knew nothing i still know nothing you grow every day 1% better every video. That's the goal. And if you can get 1% better every single time, you're going to appeal to the people that really want to hear your story and, and what you have to share. And so that's where I'm at right now, guys. We're at a, uh, you know, we're, we're getting close to 2,600 subscribers already. It's been great. I've had some really cool encouragement. The biggest encouragements come from my wife who when I was, you know, I came to her and I'm like, hey, honey, you know, I'm a 38-year-old who wants to become a YouTuber. And she didn't laugh or scoff or anything. She just said, okay, I'd love to see you do that. And my kids were always like, dad, you should become a YouTuber. It's so cool. And I'm like, um, okay. So I did. And here I am, two years later, a uh, 40-year-old YouTuber. And I love it. I absolutely love it. It's given me the creative outlet and passion to share with you guys. I've met some incredible people, and a lot of you guys know who you are. I'm going to meet some of you in person next spring, hopefully, when we get down to Tennessee and Texas. All of that. So I just want to say thank you, guys. Absolutely want to say thank you, because if I didn't have you guys here supporting this community, I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be coming back. You know, I want this to become a portion of my income, and it's getting there already. But... That's not the reason that I started this, and it's not the reason, the only reason that I do this. The reason I do it is because I love to teach, I love to share, and I love building a community, and I just, this is incredible, thank you. I think my absolute favorite is the live streams on Sunday night, where we get to shoot the shit, I get to talk about something that I'm absolutely passionate about, and I get to talk with you guys and share, and I think that's part of the reason that those videos are really doing well, and so thank you guys. So if you have any questions that you, you're like, oh, why, why should I listen to you, Tim? Or why shouldn't I listen to you? Well, like I said, am I an expert? Well, maybe in failing, maybe in learning from failing, because every time I fell on my face and I learned something, 1% improvement. Every time I broke something that wasn't Tim-proof, I realized, hey, I need to get something better. So I went looking for a better product that wouldn't break the first time I used it. And I decided this is going to work for me. And that's how I built up so many recommendations of things that I love to use. So am I an expert? I don't feel like an expert. But I sure love sharing with you guys because I learn as much. No, strike that. I learn more putting together these videos and sharing this content with you guys than I'm sure you do for me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know what else to say, guys. If I started naming names, like obviously, like I said, my wife is the inspiration for me. Becky has been incredible, and I thank her for that. I love her to death, and she puts up with a lot of my shit, and I thank her. And you guys know the rest of you. You're just 
everybody, you know? So thank you. Thank you. And that's it. 2,500. We're heading to 5,000. We'll do another one of these when we get there. And guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. It's Monday morning, which means it's time for another money-making minute, and I've got another good one for you. I'm out in my cold shop. The weather is getting much colder here. I know it might not be the case for you guys, but this video was inspired by a post by Glenn Tate. If you know him, he was the author of 299 Days, just an awesome kind of prepper-related fiction. It was really good. Follow him on Facebook. And he recently relocated from Washington to Montana. And he was asking some questions about how to make sure his car would start in the cold. And I thought I would share my knowledge with it. I put it all together and I realized this is something I need to share with you guys. So I want to talk to you guys today about how to make sure your car will start in the dead of winter. Alright guys, real quick, if you're new here and you want to know more about who I am, there it is, toolmantim.co. Run by there, you'll find the monthly newsletter, the weekly podcast, my social links, and the shop where we have over a hundred products from Amazon that I've used in my handyman business that have made me money or saved me money. Stuff like painting hand tools, painting tools, landscaping tools, cordless DeWalt gear, and of course, my favorite preparedness items. So check that out. Anything you buy will support the channel, and I very much appreciate that. Okay, guys, so if you're new here, if you happen to find this on uh, YouTube search, welcome. I thought this would be a fun one. I love dealing with the cold. I'm always out in the cold. And one of the big things living on the prairies is how in the world do we keep our cars starting when it gets that cold? Now, I moved here from the East Coast, so I grew up in a place where minus 10 Celsius was horribly cold, like almost never seen it, barely got below freezing for the most part, a little bit, but not a ton, to a place where it is very common to get into the mid minus 30s and stay there for weeks at a time. So when I come out here, I realized one of the weird things I noticed was all the public parking spots, anywhere where people would be parked more than an hour or two, all had electrical outlets in it. And I thought, well, that's strange. That must be, I don't know what it's for. Well, it turns out it's to plug your car in and not because they're, uh, you know, Teslas or, you know, electric gas hybrids or anything like that. It's to plug in the block heater to keep your engine warm when you stop. Because even a couple of hours, even an hour in minus 40 and your engine might not want to turn over. So why is that? Well, two reasons. Number one, you've got a battery. A battery is made to work at kind of ideal outdoor room, not room temperatures, but you know, your standard 70 degrees Fahrenheit is really good for a battery, I guess, at least normal outdoor temperatures. The colder you get, the less power your battery has to draw on, the harder it is. So your cold cranking amps is a rating on your battery that tells you how many amps you're gonna have at a certain temperature to turn your car over. So number one, the colder it gets, the less power you have in your battery to turn your engine over. Now, number two, on top of that, you also have oil in your engine. The colder it gets, the thicker that gets, which also makes the engine harder to turn over. So you've got this one-two punch of your battery being less powerful simply because it's colder out, and 
your car needing more power from the battery to turn the engine over through that thick sludgy oil. You know, there's a few things you can do. You can change to a lighter weight oil in the winter time, but honestly, none of it really helps that much. So I turned out my learning experience when I first moved out here was simply, there's about three different options for uh, making your car warmer, I guess. So <laughs> other than, of course, parking it in an, uh, you know, an underground or indoor heated garage, all night every night which helps for sure an electric car starter remote car starter huge help as well however the biggest thing of course is making sure that you keep your car your engine compartment or your battery warm so the first thing and this is what we had when we moved to saskatchewan years and years ago the first time it got really cold our van wouldn't start because it was a van that was acclimatized to the east coast and wasn't used to it so i went to the local napa and i asked what do i do and they said get a battery blanket what the hell is a battery blanket? So I'll put some pictures up here to show you what they look like. And they're literally a heating pad. You know, like when your, your, your mom has a sore neck or whatever, your wife, and they put a heating blanket or heating pad over it. Well, it's kind of like that. It's basically the shape of a battery. You take your battery out, wrap it around, zip tie it in place, put it back in there, and then run a cord out through your hood. And that allows it, it basically keeps it warm you know, tricking the battery, thinking it's nice and toasty, and allows it to pull the full amount of cold cranking amps, or cranking amps, period, out of that battery, and gives you, normally, enough juice to turn your engine over. Now, that's the cheapest, easiest, well, yeah, the easiest one to install. And it's the least permanent, and if you move somewhere, it's probably the best option that you have. Now, number two, this is common with a lot of the farmers. So the first one is for the battery. The next two are for the oil. Now, this one looks like a patch. So it's, it's a, a magnetic patch, almost similar to like, you know, you see those things that people get stuck to. I don't know if they're diodes or what they're called for, you know, checking heart rate and stuff when they're in surgery. They're a little bit bigger than that. They're not made out a lot and they're quite expensive for what they do, but you just stick it up on your oil pan and it has a really thin wire that runs out. And again, comes to a plug, you can plug that in. It's not as efficient or as effective as the third option I'm going to talk about. But again, if you're moving to a cold area, and I'll put a picture up to show you what that guy looks like as well. We used to sell them at the farm store where I worked because it was really good for tractors. And you just stick it to the underside of the oil pan. It helps keep the oil warm, at least down in the, uh, the oil pan itself. And again, if you can't get a warmer battery, maybe you can heat up your oil, thin it out a little bit, and allow those cold cranking amps to be able to turn your motor over. So that's the idea. So you stick that up there. It's like a stick-on heating pad for your oil pan. And it, it works pretty good too. And then the third one, and this is the one out here at least in my area that come from the factory. You can get them installed as well, but they're a block heater. And they're basically permanently installed into the block of the engine itself. These are the most effective for sure because it helps keep all the oil up in your engine block nice and toasty warm, or at least... You know, it's hard to keep anything toasty warm at minus 40. But if you're looking for a permanent solution, that's the way to go. Now, no matter which way you end up going, one funny thing about living out here is that you're always going to see all these people. They have their cord sticking out the front. So you basically just loop it out and then find the little gap, shut the hood of your car, and then have it sticking out there. And then everybody has an extension cord running from their house out. I like a light up one so I can see it. A lot of times it gets buried in the snow. 
but block heaters are absolutely the way to go. So if you're looking for something uh, permanent that you get installed in the engine block itself, go with a block heater. That's the way. So I thought you guys might like, you know, even if you're, you know, Ted living down in Florida who will never have a need for any of these items, number one, it's cool information to have just in case who knows what happens. Hell literally freezes over and you need one. But number two, I just love learning stuff like this. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. If I can find good recommendations for Amazon products, I will put links down there too for anybody who come across this video and, and is interested in, in uh, finding a, a solution to keep your engine warm. But I just wanted to share with you guys the items that we use here that are a little bit different than anywhere else that'll help keep your engine going when it's cold outside. And guys, if you have another solution uh, that doesn't require, you know, setting your vehicle on fire, share it in the comments below. Let me know because I love hearing everybody's collective knowledge. And then I turn around and I share it in videos with other people, which I love doing, guys. So, and if you're new, introduce yourself, hit the subscribe button, stick around. And as always, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. Morning guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. It's Tuesday morning, which means it's time for another edition of Toolbox Tuesday, where I spotlight products that I use, interesting little finds I have, things that don't always fit into the tool time video segments. And you guys know that I do Amazon affiliate links, and I get a report now every day, every week, whatever, of all the items that end up getting sold on there. And once in a while, something odd or neat will jump out at me and I think, I gotta check this out. So this week, that is one of those items and it is light as a feather, but it's become kind of indispensable for me. So if you're looking for a little scraper, this Stanley plastic scraper has been really good to me. Hang in there and I'll tell you about it. Guys, real quick before we dive in, you want to know more about who I am, toolmantim.co. Run by there, you'll find all my social media links, you'll find the monthly newsletter, the weekly podcast, and the shop where I have over 100 products that I recommend, stuff I've used in my business that's made me money or saved me money. A ton of different categories, hand tools, DeWalt cordless tools, landscaping gear, and most importantly, preparedness items. So if you're looking for a Toolman Tim recommendation, run by there, check that out. Anything you buy, of course, helps support this channel. And thank you, guys. Okay, so like I said, I go through that report. I love seeing neat tools. I always love looking for small, inexpensive items that will, I don't know, just work for me. And one of my frustrations, you guys know I clean a lot of windows, and one of my secrets to getting a lot of that tiny little dirt and debris and stuff off is quadruple zero steel wool. And that works really well, but sometimes you just got a little more, you got to need something with a little more oomph. And I always use those stainless steel scrapers and they're supposed to be stainless steel, but I don't know if you guys ever notice, if you put them away even a little bit damp, the whole thing just goes rusty. So when I seen this little scraper come up, it said Stanley, and I liked the brand. It said window scraper. I thought, I gotta check this out. So I went online and looked. Sure enough, US, uh, US Amazon, available no problem. Canada, available, but for some reason it needed to ship out of England. I ended up waiting a month for this little like $12 plastic scraper. But you know what? It was kind of worth it. So first off, it's plastic, <laughs> but it had 4.7 star rating on Amazon out of a couple hundred reviews. I thought, well, you know what? For a dozen bucks or something like that, 
not a big deal. I'm going to give it a shot and see. It showed up and this is what it is. If the thing weighs two ounces, it's all it is, but it's sturdy. It's not going to break. It doesn't flex. And, oh, well, let me show you. First off, it comes with this cool little plastic cover. Nothing serious there at all. That fits in the back. And what I really like, I use my DeWalt carbide utility blade blades in these. They work great. I love them, but they're just friction fit, but they pop in there nice and tight. So what I do is I slide it in there a little bit with my fingers. Then I put the lid on and then snap it into place. That pushes it down. And as long as you're pushing forward, you're never going to have any trouble. Anybody who tries to scrape backwards with a knife, you're kind of asking for trouble anyway. But this has worked really good for getting bugs off my car windshield, uh, for getting stickers off a windshield like old oil, uh, oil check, uh, you know, do for your maintenance stickers, that kind of stuff. I've really enjoyed it. But it works really good to get a window nice and soaped up and just go along it. Just be careful. Don't do this if you haven't practiced because you can scratch a window even though you might not think you can. But as far as a tiny little cheap inexpensive scraper goes, this guy has become part of an indispensable kit for my window washing between my scrubbers, my squeegees, my blue Dawn dish soap, and my quadruple zero steel wool, and my box of rags from Costco. This guy's fit in there really well. So this video is going to be a little bit shorter because what more can you really say about a plastic scraper? But I've been happy with this thing. It's worked really well. If you're looking for a scraper that just doesn't rust like all the other ones do. There's no push button on it to get gummed up, rusted up, corroded, whatever, so that it doesn't work anymore. This guy is absolutely something to look at. Inexpensive, made by Stanley, plastic, doesn't corrode, and a real quick blade change on it. A combination between this and my DeWalt carbide blades has been a top-notch one-two punch for cleaning windows. So I hope that recommendation helps, guys. Um, yeah, if you're interested in a Stanley scraper, the description, link in the description below. And if you guys pick one of these up, let me know what you think because they don't seem like they should be much. And sometimes the smallest little things just change your life a little bit for the better. So I hope you enjoy that. If you have any other recommendations for scrapers you'd like me to review and test out, put them in the link below or in the description below, guys. Let me know. And if you say, Tim, I've used this and I hate it, I'd also love to hear that because you know what? I love to bring in the collective knowledge of the community. It always helps me to base my decisions on other products down the road. So guys, you know I always appreciate you coming by, hanging out in the workshop. Always love it. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. It's Wednesday morning, which means it's time for another edition of tool time gear review and this week I got an odd one for you. This is literally the first piece of gear, the first gadget I've ever bought strictly to do measurements for YouTube videos. I've since picked up a couple other ones. I had my electrical monitor, things like that, but I figured hey if I'm using it I'm sure there's other people out there who'd like to know about it. So I want to share with you guys the Megson decibel meter. real quick if you're new here well you wouldn't know the routine would you but if you want to know more about me run by toolmantim.co that's toolmantim.co find out everything you need to know monthly newsletter weekly podcast social media links and the shop where i have 
well over a hundred listings of Amazon products that I've used in my handyman business that make me money or save me money, solutions to problems you might have. We have hand tools, we have painting tools, we have landscaping tools, and we have preparedness items. So run by there, check out anything that meets the Toolman Tim seal of approval. All right, so this product that I picked up a while back on Amazon all came from when I did my first review of the Furman Tri-Fuel Generator. Everybody kept saying how damn loud it was. And either I'm deaf or my definition of loud is different than someone else's. But, you know, trying to tell somebody how loud something is in a YouTube video is like trying to explain to them what the color purple tastes like. You just can't do it. The only way to do it is right there, is a unbiased third party a monitor that can stand back at 7 meters, 21 feet, and measure the decibel ratings and let you know. So I thought, that can't be too bad. So I picked this little puppy up on Amazon. It's got 4.2 star rating out of 460 reviews, which is kind of low for some of that stuff. This thing is like self-explanatory, but I want to show you. So there's the power button, okay? This will just, wherever I'm talking, you can see the numbers going up and down as I talk, whatever. Yep, so then you can set it to max min. So if we got it set there, that's at max. So that's going to record, obviously, the loudest decibel reading it gets anywhere at that time. Then you can go to minimum, and that's going to record how quiet I can be, which I really can't be. Then if you want to hold the reading, you can hold the button down. Or if you hold it down a little bit longer, you get a backlight. That's all there is to it really super simple product comes with a little windsock on it which i keep knocking off because it never seems to fit the way you want it to takes nine volt batteries you know how much i hate i mean love nine volt batteries however i did put my ebl rechargeables in there gonna start putting them in all of my little gadgets to see how long they last did a review on them i like them so far so if you're interested you want to know a little more about it the model number is ms-m86 and it can only measure temperatures between minus 4 and 176 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 20. So if you're doing sound readings at colder than minus 20, you got bigger issues than a, uh, an accurate decibel uh, reading meter. So I thought that was interesting. I didn't know why. Obviously, sound must have an issue in cold. And we'll talk about the decimal um, scale in a few minutes here because I learned something new and I thought I'd share it with you guys too. You know, the more we know, right? So it automatically shuts off after 15 minutes. So if you happen to leave it on, you don't need to worry about the battery running dead, even though if you use rechargeables, not a big deal. It has a range of 30 to 130 decibels with an accuracy of 1.5 decibels plus or minus. Uh, and it has almost an instant response time at about half a second. So basically anything, anything you need to know, it'll do it. You guys will see in a few minutes here, I'm gonna measure my, I just bought a brand new still backpack blower. We're going to measure that compared to the other one and we'll see i got the br600 and the br800 i couldn't find a decibel rating on the 800 online so we're going to test them side by side and we'll see which one is louder so if you're wondering about the decibel scale like i am it's not a straight linear scale you know if you know it it's what they call a log room log room <laughs> i knew logarithmic so if you're interested in the decibel scale, like I am, it's not a straight, linear, kind of one-to-one progression. It's a logarithmic scale. Got the word right that time. You won't see it on the outtakes, though. Anyway, so that basically means that when you go from 40 to 50, it increases by a factor of 10. So 
50 decibels is 10 times louder than 40 decibels. You would think, hey, it's only 25% louder. Nope, it's not. Every 10 decibels you go up, you are going up by a factor of 10. So 50 decibels is 10 times louder than 40 decibels. It's not real intuitive, but that's how it works. Now, secondly, you can't add the two readings together. I learned a few things. It's really kind of cool. So if you have one item running at 80 decibels and another item running at 80 decibels, obviously you don't have 160 decibel reading. What you actually have is 83 decibels because if you go up by three decibels, that's the same as doubling the loudness. So if you put two items side by side, both at 80 decibels, you end up getting a reading of 83 decibels. They double each other and they go up three points on the decibel scale. I'll bet most of you didn't know that because I sure as heck had no idea about that. I thought that was really cool. I know a lot of people know the 10 thing, but the doubling thing and the, the three points, I thought that was really neat. So honestly, for 20 bucks, this was a pretty cool toy to have. If you guys, or if you're the type of person that's, say, working in a loud environment and you need to know if your hearing protection is sufficient enough, or if you're a crazy guy that mud bogs like my brother-in-law and you just want to know how friggin' loud your engine really is, well, this is the tool to figure it out. Or maybe you want to start doing some review videos on YouTube. Also a great idea. But for 20 bucks, a decibel meter, I really liked it. The company is called M-E-N-G-S-H-E-N. -E -E There's a lot online, all look like this, but this was the guy that I ended up picking up because the price was right. Takes a nine volt battery, seems to run a long time. The backlight is really good. If you don't have, it, it can be a little hard depending on the angle you look at. So about a 45 degree right there is about perfect. You go too flat and it washes out. You go too high and it disappears altogether uh, if it's perpendicular to you. So I don't know. I really like this product. It certainly meets my seal of approval. You guys will see a few more reviews of some of the different YouTube gear I've picked up over the years uh, down the road. But I thought this would be the first one to share with you because it was the first one I specifically bought just to do testing for YouTube videos. So I must be hitting the big time, hey? <laughs> anyway, that's it for me this week, guys. If you guys have ever played around with a decimal uh, scale, let me know. If you have another product you like, or you might, you know, if you have a recommendation for another little gadget that I can pick up that might help me in my review videos, let me know. I love this kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. I get a good little collection of gadgets and things like that. And if you're new here, introduce yourself, throw your name in the comments below. Let me know who you are. Let me know what you're an expert in, because I love to meet new people and learn new things and share them with our community. So that's it for me, guys. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. Thanks again, guys, for dropping by the weekly workshop. A new edition drops every week, so keep an eye out. And if you're looking for a solution to such problems as I spilled paint on vinyl siding or I can't get this heavy picture to stay on the wall, stop by toolmantim.co and check out the Today's Tool section where I share products and tools that have either made me money or saved me money personally or in my long-running year-round handyman business. And if you found value in this content, please take a moment and share it on your social platform of choice. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.